I mean, is one way of getting yourself out of an awkward date, isn't it? Yeah. It's... Uh, Shazam! Now you're in the place you've always wanted to be. There's a sign-up saying, Trespassers will be exsanguinated, which means bled dry. It's the upmarket version of the redneck sign that uh, trespassers will be shot, <laughs> survivors will be shot again, isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> they basically all get together and agree to create the most kick-ass, greatest circus of all time. I don't think they use those words. And <laughs> I'd love it if they had done, though. Welcome to Shark Liver Oil, and this is a new book that we're doing. It's The Night Circus by Erin Morgenstern. I'm Matt. And I'm Dave, hello. And uh, this is, yeah, a new book, Dave, a new a new beginning. After we went through the long journey with Bilbo Baggins and The Hobbit, it's time for a change of pace. It's time to go circus. Yeah. Which I think is a, is an artistic choice everybody was expecting us to make. Yeah, everyone was thinking, how can they how can they top the Hobbit? How can they follow it up? Surely it's going to be another <laughs> children's book because that's pretty much the level of intellect. No, we're, <laughs> we're moving on. So, th- so yeah, this is a podcast called Shark Live Royal. What we do is we go through books and effectively we do it kind of like a a laid-back book club, really, isn't it? We, we don't really do a book review. We just go through the book and talk about, you know, the, the things that we like about it, the characters we like, the characters we hate, you know, various things that happen in it, that kind of stuff. And uh, if you want to get in touch and let us know about what you think of either any of the books that we're doing or um, about the podcast, feel free to email us at sharkliveroilpodcast at gmail.com. That's sharkliveroilpodcast at gmail.com. Okay, Dave, the Night Circus. Um, the first night impressions, circus. and what what do you know about it? I I didn't know very much, to be honest. So, um, we came to this book on the recommendation of our friends at the Underground Book Club, hmm. who can be found on uh, Facebook and Twitter. And their idea is, you know, they kind of uh, they choose a book for a month, and then all the uh, all the people who are consigned to commuting back and forth through the suburbs of London read the book and uh, have a little kind of uh, bookmark kind of hanging down the side if they if they you know they want somebody to kind of talk to them about it and it's an idea of sharing a book Hmm. so we thought you know we like books they like books let's get involved it's the debut novel for erin morgenstern who's only 30 yeah she's only 35 did you know that that's depressing well all all these talented individuals well okay so the night circus briefly is about, as you would expect, a circus that only appears at night. It's got certain magical properties and uh, the sort of background to it and behind the scenes are these two uh, people, a guy and a girl, who kind of it's kind of a love story and it's also kind of a, a story of conflict and a competition. I mean, it's a book which kind of tries to be hard to describe, I mm. think. Yeah. You know, a, a lot of a lot of reviews I read online for it you know, we're saying things like, I don't really want to tell you too much about it. It's a very magical world. And, and you get a sense that everybody really enjoyed being in this world, but nobody really wants to tell you what it is. So yeah. um, the very first bit is called Anticipation. And this is, this happens a few times in the book where effectively it's told from um, it, 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 as if you're the character and almost like a choose-your-own-adventure, it reminded me of. <laughs> where, um, and it's as if you're visiting this special magical circus called the night circus or uh, le cirque de rives is that how you say it 
never been good um, at French. Hey. <laughs> Go on, Dave, you do Can it. Can I, shall, shall I give it a crack? Shall yeah. I, le, le Cirque du Rêve? Yeah, see, that was much better than my, and it's this, to be honest, I thought this was a brilliant start to the book because it feels quite magical the way that it places mm-hmm. you in mm-hmm. that situation. Um, yeah. I was actually, to give a bit of background, uh, first started read well, I read this while I was on holiday in Portugal and I was sitting in mm. this lovely, large, ornate sort of gardens and uh, had some music. I think I had, I don't know if you, you've heard the band The National. Uh, I was listening yeah. to one of their albums um, and as soon as I started this, it all sort of came together and I thought, oh, this is going to be really good. I feel like it's going to be quite a magical yeah. book, this. And the thing I that struck me about the circus is everything's in black and white. And uh, this is a theme that runs through it, through the whole book. Yeah. And every time you come to the circus, the, the big thing is black and white, no colours. And yeah. this made such an impression on me at the start that throughout the book, when I was imagining the scenes, it was all in mm. black and white. I was thinking, imagine if, if you shot oh. this as a film, you could yeah. do it as a black and white, as a black and white film. Um, yeah. Because I think I think that it's quite an interesting a theme that runs through it. Yeah, and and I think again, like it's it's very well conceived. She's she's thought about it. She's got it down. It's black and white. You know, this is and the, the whole thing is about creating this world, which is the experience of reading about it feels like the experience that people have when they go into the circus, where it's all quite dreamlike. Mm. And I think it's a phenomenal achievement, really, to kind of to talk about like theater which is basically what this circus is about you know it's about this this experience quite trippy experience of, of theater yeah. um to do that without any visuals at all and just do it with words yeah um I, I i think that's i think that's a great achievement i think she's you know her her technical skill here is incredible so part 1 primordium the, the first bit is a uh, a review of the night circus from a review of the actual circus uh, from mm. Frederick, a character called Frederick Thiessen, who we find out mm. a bit more about later on. And there's also mm. a quote from Oscar Wilde. Do you want to talk about that? Yeah. Um, good old Oscar. Um, he, he was definitely a one for original kind of ways of thinking about things. Mm. Um, and I, I, am a, I am an Oscar Wilde fan. It says, a dreamer is one who can only find his way by moonlight. His punishment is that he sees the dawn before the rest of the world. Mm. Um and I, th- I think that's I think that's actually really really kind of key um, in the whole book. And the other one comes right at the end where she uses a quote from um, the Tempest, mm. um, Prospero's final speech from the Tempest. Yeah, it is about this um, uh, kind of quite unreal idea of a different identity. You know, in the book we encounter these people who love the circus so much they call themselves dreamers. And there's this whole sense of like it being a story that people are desperate to make themselves a part of. Yeah. And and again, I see that like when I you know reading the um the reviews of it again, it's it's people read this and they're like, it seems to me that a lot of people really wish they could live in the book. Yeah. Which I find quite questionable. Like I'm not certain I would want to live in this book. I don't know about how I don't know how you feel about that, but yeah, I definitely thought could imagine people having. Um, night circus parties and, and turning up in uh, black and white oh, with a little red yeah. scarf. Um, yeah, 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 yeah. Which is not a bad thing, you know. It's nice to have communities and things like that. Um, but Absolutely. yeah, I, I, I agree. It is the kind of effect that um, 
in two parts. The Night Circus, the actual circus, has on its characters, and the Night Circus, the mm. actual book, has on its readers. I think there is yeah, a, there is a similar true. effect. Well, we move into the the first scene, I suppose, um, uh, with Prospero, uh, the enchanter. Uh, is it Prospero the enchanter? Is that his, he is. Is that his stage Prospero name? the enchanter. That's yeah, his stage name. and he effectively a, a, a readopts, well, adopts his his own daughter who turns up. Um, mm. At his place, and he, he basically, um, <laughs> he basically takes her under his wing because he sees that she's got similar talents to his in terms mm. in terms of this magical ability. Um, she demonstrates a bit of basic, I suppose, telekinesis, and um, mm. and his response to to his daughter arriving um, completely unannounced is, "You might be interesting." Which, which isn't no, the kind no. of... Oh, is it not? No, it's not. No, no, it's even better than that, Matt. What he actually <laughs> says the first time he sees her is, well, fuck. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So th- this is a really sympathetic and relatable character, as we will go on to see. Yeah. Um, and this is one of my main problems with the book, really, is, is he's a cock. <laughs> he really is. He is a twat from start to end. Yeah. And uh, and I don't I, you know like and and his his kind of mysterious twatishness is one of the drivers for the entire plot of the book. Yeah. And um and I found that difficult to kind of engage with. Maybe there's maybe there's a bit of me which isn't really willing to accept the magic while it's being driven by somebody who's so clearly a tool. But so we move on to the gentleman's wager, which is where the the, the plot really begins, where the this this guy the grey suit man turns up. And mm-hmm. the, the, there's basically the competition begins. This is the very this is the very roots of of what's going to drive the whole story forward, where Prospero mm-hmm. and the the man in the grey suit actually have a begin a competition which they've which they've done before. It's kind of, kind of a, what happens throughout the book really. The what's actually going on is very slowly revealed to you. So you're in the dark yeah. for for quite a while, and you just get the impression here that there's these two guys who are going to have some kind of competition, which involves a uh, nominated sort of champion for each of them. And it, obviously, mm. Prospero is going to put forward his daughter, and yeah. the, the man in the grey suit will find somebody else. You assume again, sympathetic, relatable action. Mm. Um, uh, on a bet, what do you wager? Oh, my daughter. I think I'll wager my daughter. <laughs> yeah. What? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And we find out that the, the grey suit man picks out um, a boy from, I think it was from an orphanage in, in the next yeah, bit, which yeah. is called Shades of Grey. Um, so you have these two characters now who are being set up to compete with each other for something. And they, uh, they mm. both appear to have uh, abilities which which are magical we move into uh magic lessons where we 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 just take a, a couple of snapshots into how the uh these two uh children i suppose are, are being trained and um celia's uh oh prospero's lessons i suppose are, are very practical shall we say um and That's one way of putting it isn't it and yeah quite uh well, uh, let me think of a way to describe it's a, it. Um, monstrous, I yeah. think, is the way to describe it. Yeah, it's, yeah it's, the actions like, of a, it's the actions of a maniac, isn't it? He slices <laughs> his daughter's fingers open 
um, yeah, and gets her to repair them. Breaks her hand, right? Yeah. And it's like... So what we're seeing is, I mean, for all that it's kind of like, oh, it's a magical book, it's lovely. What we're seeing is a depiction of child abuse. Yeah. And at no point is that character either explored or... Uh, or kind of, or even really denounced. Everybody's just like, kind of, oh, he's just this guy. I suppose the the, the only person who who sees that is Celia and and Prospero. And yeah, it, in in the way that you know, the, the sad way that things like this happen in the real world, children, if that happens to them, kind of accept it as yeah. oh, that just must be just how, how things are. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, and, I suppose that's true. Yeah, he does act. I mean, Prospero's lessons are pretty monstrous, including slicing the fingers open. And also, a bit later on, he he, he kills a is it a, is it a bird, a sparrow, or a dove that he kills? But he kills a bird and, and sort of puts it in her in her arms and says, uh, "Yeah, fix that." And she can't. And uh, that's another that's another nice lesson for Celia another to learn. Par- parenting home run there. Yeah, um, is a dead bird. It's your fault. <laughs> in comparison, the boy, um, the the, the grey man, tends to uh, focus more on theoretical learning. He's he's more about locking him up in a room and letting him yeah. just look at books for uh, for years on end. Yeah. So this is this is sort of like the magical power of neglect. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Again, it's this idea that you know if you just leave people alone enough, they'll somehow become magicians. But I suppose that the point is they're trying to draw a contrast between Prospero's very hands-on um, mm. training of his yeah. um, of his champion and yeah. uh, the the, the grey man's sort of very standoffish approach where he just kind of leaves his guy to it and just surrounds him with the materials that he thinks he'll need to uh, to improve. So I dig that there's a contrast between these two characters, and and but I still object to the thing where they're kind of these characters these two men are established as kind of opposites or are they opposites they're just contrasts whatever and then we Mm. we don't really learn why that matters so in the 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 next chapter uh is it la battleur the battleur yeah the the years are flying by now this is one of those acquiring a job as the official french yeah, you can be the French guy. I'll be the French guy. <laughs> the, the years really speed up, and we get to the point where um, the boy's turned nineteen now, mm. and yeah. he's uh, he's sitting in a coffee shop drawing, and uh, we find out that we finally get his name, which is Marco. Well, he kind of picks it himself, Marco Alistair, or Marco mm. Alistair, and uh, he meets a tarot card reader mm. um, called Isabel Martin. And, mm. and and they they start. It's kind of like one of these, almost like you know, bump into a girl in a coffee bar and meet up. You know where this is going, kind of scenes. Yeah. Until <laughs> suddenly he fucking teleports her to, some, to this <laughs> this snowy uh, forest. Um, which is it's kind of. A, it, I think I don't think it's actual teleportation. Is it? It's a, it's like a, it's an illusion because they're still standing in this yeah. street. But um, but he changes but, her entire reality. So exactly as far as she's concerned, she is. She is kissing this guy in a forest. Yeah, which I mean is one way of getting yourself out of an awkward date, isn't it? Yeah, it's... Uh, Shazam! Now you're in the place you've always wanted to be. Yeah, I mean, uh, if you, if you're cynical, you think uh, you, surely this is the weirdest, creepiest thing that's ever happened to you. But if you're a romantic, you think, oh, that's a that's a fantastic, you know, moment in the book. You see, when I was reading it, I quite liked it. 
um, the first time. And then when I was looking back on it, yeah, you start to think about it and these kind of thoughts come in. The next bit, false pretenses. Uh, I mean, mm. Celia's miserable lessons continue and uh, Marco is doing a bit of mind reading with Isabel at this, this point as well. Oh, we didn't mention that mm. Marco's big book of sort of tree notes, which is what he's drawing. It's like the, the way that Marco... <laughs> I think I cheapened it with that description. But the way that Marco... I don't know if that's exactly what it is. <laughs> it's not notes about trees, but it's notes in the form of branches and trees. Notes in the form... Yeah, which is not any more reasonable than notes about trees as no. a plot device, is it? Like, <laughs> I suppose um, not. It's, I, th- like, it's, I think it's pretty cool, again, but yeah. Yeah, I mean, so it, it is a very nice kind of visual motif. And when they make a movie out of it, they're going to have an absolute blast. Um, but, sorry, he writes using trees, using pictures of trees. Are the branches in the shape of letters? And in that case, would it not be better simply to write it out? Is it not connections, though? It's sort of sort of creating almost like a a, a spider web of, of interlocking names and characters uh... and things like that. It's not just him writing a collection of words and then drawing trees or anything. Well, but, but it doesn't say anything. Well, oh, no, that's not true, I suppose. Like, like half the book in the future, there is further consideration of what this book constitutes. Yeah. But for most of the book, it just kind of goes on about this kind of, oh, there's a notebook and he writes in it like it's trees. And, and, <laughs> and it's just one of hundreds of things in the first part of the book that you just have to be like, I, all right, I'll yeah. file that away under things that aren't adequately described to me yeah there's very much a sense of just go with it in this book for yeah, quite a lot and yeah. you have to you have to put a lot of trust that the author knows what she's doing um yeah in false pre- presences we come across um prospero again and he's uh he's he's continuing his uh bid to become the Cock. most cockish character in the book by uh trying to actually make himself disappear and he's having a he's having mm. a lot of fun doing it as well um, yeah. And it's always whenever Prospero's having a good time, it's always at the expense of others. It's always because he's looking forward to making other people look stupid or get one <laughs> over on other people, isn't it? Um, he's, like, he's, oh, he's 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 the he's the nastiest kind of magician because he uses yeah. it to to make himself feel better than others, almost to belittle his audience. Yeah, and and, and maybe maybe I've been too harsh to this point on this book. Maybe exactly the kind of magical charlatanism that I'm complaining about finding elsewhere in the text is what this character is supposed to represent. Mm. You know, the 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 powerful but essentially contemptible magician who can just do whatever he likes yeah. and has forgotten about like human connection and things like that. Possibly. Possibly, this is a more self-aware kind of book than I thought it was. But... Yeah, and and know, it's interesting because because you're right, he is a charlatan, but also he is genuinely magical as well. He can actually do magic. It's quite a trick, isn't it, to be an utter fake and genuinely a magician at the same time. Now, look, we're moving to a section of the book where it's it's kind of all about just introducing characters. Now we we run through quite yeah. a few pages where it's just. We're going to set out who the main characters are going to be here. So, in target yeah. practice, we're introduced to uh, Chandresh Lefevre, who is mm. the uh, who will be the owner of the circus. Effectively, he's this grand entertainer, real mercurial mm. character. Um, his first scene is him throwing knives at a at a dartboard, and um, and he, he th- there's a quite a nice quote where he says, uh, "A show without an audience is nothing. It's in the response of the audience where the performance lives." 
which mm. is again quite a central part of the book. It's the the fact that there's no point doing something as as grand as the night circus without the audience for it, and that's the whole point yeah. of it. Yeah, yeah, and I think I think that is quite an interesting thing about the sort of because a lot of this book is about power, the power of performance. And there's a one thing I did like about the book is that there's this thread running all the way through it about people's free will. You know, it's not it's not just a uh, it's not just a power trip on the part of a performer. Hmm. Um, it's you know it has to be something more collaborative than that. The, the the next part of the book now this is this is called Truth or Dare, and it's where we introduced to a character called Bailey, who's a child um, at this point. And mm. he is one of the people who goes to the circus. And um, th- this this scene is him and his sister in the tree overlooking the circus in the daytime. And in the end, he's you know on a dare. He he goes into the circus uh, and tras- trespasses. Um, but this is set in uh, Concord, Massachusetts, in September eighteen ninety seven. Um, and everything else we've been looking at so far. But the, the point we've got to in the book before this is February 1885. So this is jumping forward 12 years. And it's yeah. kind of like a blink or you'll miss it jump forward as well. It's very weird because it jumps to where the circus is all set up and, and, and Bailey is, you know, trespassing there. And then we right back to the start again um, after this chapter. And I found myself kind of, as I was going through it, suddenly stopping and thinking, hang on a minute, what what time is this? And going back to the start yeah. of the chapter to try and work out how many years have progressed. Oh, geez, yeah. Um, no, if, the amount of hopping around that it in this book going, okay, so this is October eighty, yeah. Right, and then this is... 80, but, what? Yeah. For I some do, reason, I find that much more difficult to follow in books than films, which is probably a failure on my part. But I don't know, because I, I thought exactly the same. I do think these jumps in this book are quite clunky. Um, but they, they are qu- quite a sudden, like grinding gear change, um, which it did did sort of take me out of the book every so often because I had to stop and think. Hang on a minute, you know, where where does this character sit on the timeline compared to yeah, what I've been reading yeah. last? Um, and yeah, it, it is once or twice this happens in the book, and I, I did find it a little bit a little bit annoying, to be honest. The other thing that I thought was interesting in Truth and Dare was this, frankly, extremely disturbing threat which Bailey encounters on a signboard at the at the night circus. Because <laughs> he, he's dared to go and break into the night circus during the daytime, and he squeezes, <laughs> squeezes through the fence. But there's a sign-up saying, trespassers will be exsanguinated, mm. which means bled dry. It's the upmarket version of the redneck sign that uh, trespassers will be shot, survivors will be shot again, isn't it? <laughs> That's exactly what it is. The redneck undertones of the night circus are not nearly uh, nearly acknowledged enough. <laughs> okay, so um, associates, associates and conspirators. Uh, we're introduced to some of the uh, architects of... Uh, what will become the night circus they include a designer called uh, madame uh, anna padva there's an engineer called ethan barris there are the the burgess twins um who whose uh, whose main skills appear to be sort of just seeing things that other people miss which is you know not to be uh belittled it's a, it's a useful skill to have and you're always good to have those kind of outside the box thinkers i suppose on any of these 
projects, especially if you're trying to create right. a, a magical circus from scratch uh, outside the box. That's true. Quite That's good. true. Uh, th- this is in setting up a magical circus for dummies. Yeah. The book. And of get course, yourself a, get yourself an enigmatic couple of girls who can observe everything. Exactly. And of course, there's Chandresh, who we've spoke, who we've been introduced in Target Practice, and Marco's got himself a job. Uh, who's the uh, one of the challengers, Mr. Gray's uh, combatant, has got himself mm. a job uh, working amongst these guys as well. And they basically all get together and agree to create the most kick-ass, greatest circus of all time. I don't think they use those words. And <laughs> I'd love it if they had done, though. Like, guys, <laughs> yeah. I've got this idea and it's going to kick ass. Is everybody in? <laughs> to kicking ass! <laughs> yeah. Guys, I've got the baddest assist of idea <laughs> the baddest assist the fuckest uppest <laughs> you could imagine this um sort of in an alternative reality being a like funny rom-com where the crazy chandresh gets everyone sit- sitting down and in kind of a weird frat boy announcement goes we're gonna make the greatest circus ever it's gonna be fucking <laughs> awesome <laughs> but yeah that's um, true. That's true. So, so basically, yeah. What, what do you think about the, the the initial introduction to these characters? I I quite like this. I thought this was one of the most kind of natural, um, natural things. Yeah. Although I have to say that, um, so the the one you haven't mentioned is that Mister Gray himself, Marco's. Oh yeah. Um, is it too much to call him a mentor, a tormentor, possibly? <laughs> yeah. Um, uh, he's also one of these people, and it it. Yeah, another plot hole where I'm like, I'm not really certain what he's there for, and it's never really explained. It's just, I think he's just supposed to be there in this kind of mysterious. But I think he's. I think that the point of the Mister Gray being uh, being there is he's he's manipulating him, um, sort of uh, quite. Yeah. And it just 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 shows that he's there in the background pulling the strings still. Yeah. Yeah, I suppose that's true, but I think that's like. You've still got to come up with a plot reason for them to be there, rather than just an atmosphere reason for yeah, them to be there. That's and, fair and point. I, like there isn't a reason. Um, mm. I, I, t- I actually, I tell you what I liked is that he gets he, he he gets as much of a name as he ever does for the whole book. He becomes Mister A H Dash. Yeah. Now I don't know about you, but I have a somewhat fertile imagination, and and so I was sitting there playing with who it could possibly have been. Like I was, I was, I honestly thought that at one point it was going to be a big historical reveal and it was going to be Hitler. <laughs> it was just like I was like, I like I'm trying to work out why you wouldn't just name this character. Yeah. Um, and it's about mystery and so on. But people refer to him as Mister A H Dash in speech, <laughs> yeah. without ever really thinking this is a slightly strange thing for me to be calling him. I wonder what his name is. Yeah. Do you think at some <laughs> point like that, Mister Gray was going to say, um, so? What do you think about just having entirely tall blonde people working at the circus? What do you, uh, <laughs> where do you stand on invading Poland? <laughs> Using the circus, no. What we can do is if we build really quick roads, we can move really quickly across whole countries in order to perform on the other side of them. No, anyone? Anyone? Yeah. I've got a painting here if anybody wants to buy it. No? No? Oh. Has anybody thought about introducing panzer tanks to the, uh, to the repertoire of the circus? <laughs> <laughs> now there's a niche that hasn't been filled eh? military circus yeah. doing magic with heavy ordnance yeah. 
I'm just, <laughs> at one point he just says, I just don't think we're really making the most of these abilities. Imagine what we can do with them in terms Imagine of... We could, we, could, we could take over the world. Anyone? No? No? Oh, yeah. sorry, I was, I, was, I was only joking. <laughs> so, yeah. it is quite nice, isn't it, this initial meeting? And uh, the characters do, for the most part, seem pretty pretty well-rounded and, and pretty believable. Although I suppose yeah. it's a little bit of a cliche that the engineer is a bit of an introvert and the designer is this yeah. sultry, uh, you know, uh, older older woman. And uh, the two twins are quite innocent in their... Uh, in, in their observations. But the, the next the next part, condolences. Um, we think Prospero may be dead and readers around the world give a little whoop, but uh, it turns <laughs> out he's not. Um, he's just yeah. my... <laughs> Oh, what a letdown. Okay. Yeah. The, the chapter opens with, the announcement in the paper states that Hector Bowen, better known as Prospero the Enchanter, entertainer and stage musician of great renown, died of heart failure. And yeah. just a bit of me that went fucking yes, <laughs> have that. And then he turns out only two of again in a way which is not entirely described to become sort of an elemental force, like a ghost, but not a ghost. Yeah, yeah. He's basically managed to make himself disappear, and he's, he can't make himself reappear, which I still thought was really <laughs> funny because he's because he's That's so great. arrogant, and he's uh, with how uh, how great he is at magic, and he's managed to completely <laughs> fuck something up to the point where I suppose it's like it's like playing a game of solitaire where you make enough mistakes where you can't fix it anymore, and he's done that, but with. <laughs> Actual, his own life, which is crazy. Nothing, nothing less than he deserves, though. <laughs> yeah, there are a couple of other characters who, over the next couple of chapters, are introduced. There's Sukiko, who's the tattooed contortionist who joins mm-hmm. the circus. Uh, there is uh, Frederick Thiessen, who's the clockmaker, who makes the clock, which mm-hmm. is the centerpiece of the of the night circus. And he's an mm-hmm. important character later on, but we'll speak more about him as he as he comes more into the story. Um, yeah. Celia gets into the circus as the illusionist after an audition. And at this audition, um, this is where Marco realises that she's the opponent because um, she's doing things that um, he, you know, nobody else would be able to do mm. unless she could actually perform magic. And he suddenly realises, this is the person I'm going to need to defeat in some way. Because the interesting mm. thing is, even the even the two people competing don't, really know what they're supposed to do and they get quite frustrated as we do through the book trying yeah. to work out what am I supposed to be doing what's the point of this yeah and and it, I mean I suppose they become they're quite convenient vehicles for our frustration which is profound Marco effectively um says this for us in the book as well where he, he calls he puts a call out for the grain man to to come around and and, and speak to him he affects it it's kind of like sending up the bat signal but instead of a bat signal it's just a massive <laughs> wtf and then gets him to come around and explain what the hell's going on so that the final uh, mini chapter in this uh, in this part in part one is back with mm. bailey so we've moved forward in time again and in fact we've moved even a few more years forward than the last time we were with bailey because he's a bit older now yeah. and he's talking about going off to college and yeah. he's he's a bit pissed off with uh, how things are going in, in his home life. 
he he still runs away every so often to this tree where he was in in the in the last chapter or in the last chapter yeah. with him um yeah. where he squirreled away a few mementos and one of them is a white glove which was taken from a girl that he met when he trespassed into the circus the last time and she yeah, helped him get the out. girl who said you know what don't worry it's not exangu they're not really going to bleed you dry yeah so she's she's she is a sympathetic and relatable character although it's it's easy to um, make the mistake of wondering whether she is Celia because um, if you think about it, the timelines don't add up and Celia must be much older by this point. But when I was reading it at the time, I was thinking, oh, that must be Celia. And then it, it was only when I stopped to think, hang on a minute, how does this all work out in one linear time? Where you think, well, even taking into account the fact that the people working on this circus age more slowly, she must still mm. be a bit older than, than Bailey. The, yeah. the, the timelines yeah, don't add true. up. I think this, yes. the, the general thing about part one, um, as we have discovered talking about it, 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 it asks a lot of questions and answers very few. And the idea mm. is that you want to read on to discover more. Did yeah. you feel that as uh, by the end of this part? Because I, I, I'll say I did. I, I was by this part of the book. I was still very invested in it and thinking I, I want to see how this circus comes about and how these two opponents end up coming to coming into conflict. Yeah, that's true. I, I was definitely still with it at this point. I think I was. I was kind of. I was drifting. But at the same time, like it created an atmosphere and a world and there were characters moving through it. And, you know, like in, um, you know, certainly, you know, we're only just coming to the end of the first act. You've got to give the book a chance to do what it's trying to do. So I was I was definitely still with it at this point. <laughs> <laughs> 